All opinions expressed by the program participants are their own and do not reflect those of Blue Line Futures LLC or their affiliates. The content is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as trading advice. Futures trading involves a substantial risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Therefore, carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for your financial condition. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of the Macro Corner Podcast, proudly presented by Blue Line Futures. I am your host, Paul Wankmuller. My co-host today is the one and only Giannis Mindall. Welcome to the show, Giannis. Hey, hey, Paul. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. We are back to our usual format, focusing on topics discussed in our weekly email, Top 3 Things. Let's jump right into it. I do believe that we have a quote this week, and that would be, I've done a lot of thinking about fear. For me, the crucial question is not how to climb without fear. That's impossible but how to deal with it when it creeps into your nerve endings. Who is that quote from, my friend? Alex Arnold. He's a famous uh, free climber, actually. So she speaks to the idea that there are things that you can't control and some you cannot control. So that's really important, not only in climbing, but also in markets. Absolutely. So let's dive right into it. We've been talking about this. I guess it's been going on for about the better half of, of two two and a half years now the dominance of the dollar and the implications that that has had on central bank policies around the world. What does that have to do with it? Yes. So ultimately, the dollar is the one reserve currency that a lot of nations still rely on, even though there's been a lot of chatter and talk around maybe the dollar declining a little bit and its role being diminished. But in times like these, we really see how dominant this dollar still is. And while the ECB is talking about whether to raise rates above their 1% hurdle, when German PPI is running at 46%, the Federal Reserve has really been able to be a lot more aggressive in their monetary policy stance. And what they find themselves in is really a balancing act in between needing to inflate the current debt level away uh, on the back of uh, the pandemic in 2020, the IMF did a study that put global uh, debt level as a percentage of GDP at 256%. So that speaks to the idea that you cannot have rates high for a really long time, or at least a lot of nations cannot afford to do that. Prime example being the BOJ fighting a currency war right now. And so you have, on the one hand, you have the need to fight inflation and a lot of central banks or especially the Fed becoming a single mandate bank. And then on the other hand, you have the need to inflate the high levels of indebtedness away in some form. And the only way to do that really is uh, by the example of what happened on the back of World War II, when inflation stayed high for a long time, you had negative real rates and uh, that allowed countries to get rid of its of their debt level and ultimately return to some sort of state that's where central banks can be a lot more nimble. One thing that we've talked about previously in this podcast, and it's it's definitely a staple that we we speak about across many different factors, is the rate of change and the rate of change of the U.S. raising uh, rates, as well as across the world with the rate of change of inflation, et cetera. So that, that is something else that, that is a factor. Exactly. And I mean, uh, speaking of rate of change, we see that the Fed is increasingly trying to communicate a pause in the pace of rate hikes. So we have seen 
uh, 75 basis points. Uh, that has really been uh, their norm as of late. But right now they're trying to communicate something that's maybe 50 basis points and then ultimately slowing down to 25. And after that, they'll get to a state where they just want to keep rates stable at a perhaps elevated level of four and a half percent percent on Fed funds. I mean, that really seems what they're trying to do here. We saw Neil Kashkari communicate in the past that their goal is not necessarily to exceed CPI on rates on Fed funds, but just to keep rates at an elevated level. And as that rate of change slowdown occurs, the Fed will pay a lot of attention to financial conditions. They will pay a lot of attention to what the stock market's going to do. Jay Powell and, uh, and his cohort were not happy when he came out at Jackson Hole stating that there will be pain, that there will be uh, perhaps a recession. He did not say that, but he quoted Paul Volcker in that speech. Uh, it was later known that he uh, ended up tearing up his previous speech only to deliver a much more direct message at Jackson Hole. So he was not happy. The Fed does not want to see asset price inflation at the current conjunction because they want to uh, sort of pursue the goal of fighting inflation at this point. But the question really becomes is how will the markets respond to that Fed pause? And then also how are they going to respond to if there's going to be a much more recessionary condition in the U.S. economy? Will they go to a pivot right away or will they stick to higher rates for longer? And this speaks again to the Fed Balancing Act, to the Central Bank Balancing Act, and between high debt levels on the one hand and then the need to fight inflation. Where are they going to end up uh, pivoting to if the economy and markets scream for help and they might not be there right away, but maybe they're fine just keeping average inflation a little bit higher than the current 2% target. And one thing that I know a lot of traders, investors, et cetera, look towards when they are looking for how risky something is or how stable a country is are credit spreads. So let's let's uh, jump out of the U.S. for a second, go across the pond. What is going on with regards to the Asian credit spread situation as, as well as the European credit spread situation? And CDSs are another word for, for the credit spreads. Yeah, so credit default swaps, yep. uh, C CDS across Asia are really responding higher. So you look to five-year CDSs of South Korea, Japan, Thailand, all of which are trending higher and towards 2020 sort of levels. So that is starting to become a little bit more concerning, especially continue to weaken. On Friday, we saw the BOJ step in in a big way when the uh, dollar against the yen uh, preached of 151 level. And then uh, it was pretty clear that some intervention happened, uh, brought the yen, uh, the dollar back down to 146 against the yen. And then in today's trading session, it's right back to 149. One thing that we do know, if central banks think they cannot afford raising rates because of high indebtedness, then they will ultimately have to deal with a draining of FX reserves. Since the beginning of this year, we saw that uh, FX, global FX reserves got drained by about a trillion dollars from a total pool of $12 trillion in FX reserves. So uh, as those reserves get drained, the question ultimately becomes how long can they afford to do it? And also how structural are all these forces that we're talking about here? And that's also very important going back to the fact that the United States relies on those FX reserves of other countries so that they can purchase our debt and everything, you know, remains afloat.
Exactly. I mean, this is one major thing when it comes to the stick to the potential stickiness of Treasury yields. Uh, two weeks back, uh, we saw a lot of traders getting sort of caught off guard when the ten-year yield on Treasuries did not stop at four percent, but shot right past. Mm-hmm. And in the past, what we have seen is because of the shape of different yield curves and of the low cost of hedging. Uh, currency risk, a lot of foreign buyers, including Japan and China, were able to park their um, balance of payment surplus in U.S. treasuries. But if that situation is a little bit changed now, there's not, natu- uh, there's not this natural buyer that's not necessarily taking an outright uh, directional bet, but that's just the buyer that was always there and that kept yields at pretty low levels. So if that buyer has gone, if or at least the extent to which those buyers are there is much less, that puts upward pressure on yields, more structurally speaking. And, and switching just a little bit with regards to the uh, the foreign currencies and the, and the price of those currencies against the dollar, what is a country like South Africa? I, I do know that they mine a lot of platinum there, or a country like Chile, where they mine a lot of copper. What is that? What are the implications for those countries? Yeah, so one key thing for commodities writ large is that, of course, commodities get produced in different places. South Africa is really big on platinum, Brazil big on iron ore, and Chile is really the predominant producer of copper. So what we're watching here is also the CDS, uh, the credit default swaps on all of these countries, and what are they telling us? If those creep up, which they are currently doing, then we need to pay a little bit more supply side impacts. Uh, while maybe demand as a result of recessionary conditions creeping in is also suppressed, but you have this tug of point between maybe a little bit less certain supply in some of these emerging market nations after they hiked rates uh, sooner than the U.S. did. So that sort of kept things at bay at the beginning. But right now that this uh, rate differential really kicks in right now that maybe some of the lagging effects of uh, hawkish Fed rhetoric kicks in, uh, we need to be a little bit more cognizant of some of these nations and the associated risk. So do you think the Fed is, is paying attention to these rates across the pond? They're, they're definitely paying attention. I mean, they're not going to publicly admit it because they <laughs> don't want to uh, sort of uh, deliver a fuzzy message. They want to stay direct. They want to stay clear for the time being. Uh, but ultimately, they will pay attention. And the question is, when is the pain point going to be breached? One of the key things that we see is that the pain point has not been breached in the U.S. We turn to credit spreads across the board. Those have been extremely orderly, and that also emboldens the Fed, perhaps, in staying higher for longer. And I think, in addition, we we could probably throw in there that the you know the numbers that we're that we're seeing uh, coming out, the economic numbers, rather, jobs really aren't awful. Unemployment rate is okay, so maybe that might be something also that's just holding everything afloat. That is sort of the, the thing with having high inflation, which then inflates uh, nominal growth. So real growth may not be a, a real um, a home run or anything, but you can have nominal growth still stay elevated. And if mm-hmm. you are a business and the nominal amount of money that you make on the top and bottom line sort of stays elevated, then you may not be too enticed to... Um, turn to layoffs right away. So maybe these effects are all lagging. And unless inflation comes down, unless the Fed can break nominal growth and maybe uh, bring that pain that they talked about, then it may be a little bit more sticky. And 
uh, the job may not be done until a little bit uh, further out in the future, especially when we turn to things like credit spreads, which stay compressed across the high yield as well as the investment grades. Right. And in addition, it's a very different uh, you know, dynamic with regards to the aging population. And you know, the internet was not around the last time that we saw inflation like this. Yeah, perhaps more importantly even is that, and one of the things that we spoke about offline here is that on the back of oil prices really going 10x from the early 1970s to the late 1970s, early 1980s, we had a massive capital spending boom. So the massive capital spending boom and online coincided with Paul Volcker's actions to break the back of inflation. So right. while, of course, Paul Volcker's actions had an effect on demand in the economy, and that ultimately impacts inflation, we also know that that was in right in line with some real economic forces changing. So if that's not the case today, then we may be in a state where the economy, whenever it gets switched on, meaning less tight policy, then we naturally bump up against these real world constraints, whereas uh, you need to keep the economy sort of at bay. And uh, it's, it's really hard for the Fed and other central banks to, to maneuver uh, the, this large ship uh, being central bank policy. Right. And one thing to note in, in, the, in the 80s as well was that you had the introduction of oil futures began in uh, New York City on the New York Mercantile Exchange, which is now the, the CME. But that used to be a price that was controlled by OPREC, and then it became a free-floating price based on supply and demand. Exactly. And today you may have an opposing dynamic where you see OPEC plus uh, taking the reins of oil prices again. And with spare capacity being as low as it is, it's really an, a window of opportunity for them. Yeah, I just want to end it with this as well. And we, we spoke about this earlier was how... Where do you see any divergences within the euro area? You know, that is a currency that is, you know, is a staple for, what is it, 13 countries? I am probably wrong on that one, but it, it's a different dynamic than, than the U.S. dollar. But where do you see any divergences, especially when you spoke about Germany and the energy crisis that they're going to be approaching to in the winter? Yeah, so one big theme right now going on in Europe is the fact that some of their or nearly all of their gas storage facilities are 90% or above full. So maybe the issue of energy reserves right now is not as big as maybe some would have thought. But then you have to balance that view with there is a lot of LNG and crude oil floating on water today because they are just waiting for those winter prices to arrive. Right. So. This situation in Europe and in Germany and all across the continent is really staying rather fluid at the current conjunction. And it remains to be seen because you have to remember the Europeans, they don't have a central taxing union. The ECB has to uh, set rates for a large number of countries while not controlling their fiscal side. So this remains tricky. And I guess one of the best ways in which we can measure where will be the euro dollar exchange rate and that's what we'll keep the pulse on just to uh correct it's actually 19 member countries in the euro just wanted 
to clarify that for our users and our listeners out there. So Giannis, thank you very, very much. I am very happy that we just wrapped up episode 21 of the Macro Corner podcast. Thanks again for joining us, Giannis. Thanks so much. You got it. The Blue Line Futures chart book is available in the description of the podcast on bluelinefutures.com as well as attached to the email sent to clients every Sunday. Not a client? Reach out to podcast at bluelinefutures.com for a complimentary two-week trial of our premium research covering equity indices, bonds, metals, grains, livestock, and so much more. See everybody next week. Happy trading. All opinions expressed by the program participants are their own and do not reflect those of Blue Line Futures LLC or their affiliates. The content is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as trading advice. Futures trading involves a substantial risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Therefore, carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for your financial condition.